The scripture this morning is from the 15th chapter of Romans, and it is just one verse from Paul. The setting is the 14th chapter. He's talking about the divisions that are taking place within the Roman church, some over uh, whether you can uh, eat particular meat uh, that may have been offered uh, to a pagan god, others about whether you need to keep all the feast days uh, that the Jews had kept. And this is what Paul concludes as he talks about these divisions and he encourages the people in Rome. He says, welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Uh, Before we start, I do want a a brief word of welcome. Cynthia, do you mind standing up? Cynthia Ladson is uh, a pastor in uh, Lockhart. Uh, Texas and uh, and is in the AME um, uh, church, which is one of our cousins, African Methodist Episcopal Church. And for a few hours each week, uh, she is interning uh, with at this church under the uh, uh, leadership of Pastor Donna, which stressed Donna so much this week she broke a foot. No, <laughs> no we, we have found uh, Cynthia to be a wonderful presence. So welcome, Cynthia. We're so glad that you're with us. This reminds me, though, of an old story you probably heard some years ago. Long after he had had a perfect season and won the Super Bowl, Miami coach, uh, then retired Don Shula, walked in the middle of the afternoon into a theater. And when he walked in, people stood up and started applauding him. And he said, well, well, thank you. I had no idea any of you would remember me. And finally, a voice from uh, another side of the theater said, are we supposed to know who you are? All I know is they wouldn't start the movie until there were 10 of us and you're number 10. (laughs) And I thought about that. What if the church were a place and a people where you weren't welcomed accidentally, but you were applauded and welcomed for who you are just as you are? What if the church were the people of God? Were, um, were a people who practiced the sort of radical welcome we used to see on TV. Remember the old TV show Cheers when everybody uh, knew your name? They were always glad you came. So when Norm shows up, the response from everybody is Norm. And he's applauded just through, for walking through the doors of a bar. Now, back then when the show was uh, being uh, conceived and then delivered, one of the great uh, sociologists of the day, a guy named Ray Oldenburg, came up with a theory of what he called the great good place. And he studied factory, factory workers in Chicago, and he noticed that these factory workers had three significant places in their life. One was their home, one was their place of work, but he said to really thrive, they all needed what he called that third place or that great good place, which in their case happened to be the local pub. And there they found welcome and acceptance that not only didn't keep them from home, actually encouraged them at home and encouraged them in work as well. What if we became that great good place for other people? Obviously, uh, welcome and hospitality was significant uh, to Jesus. Jesus welcomed in all sorts of people who weren't typically, typically welcomed in rabbinic circles. Uh, women, children, lepers, tax collectors, uh, prostitutes typically did not find welcome among the religious leaders of the day. And yet they found in Jesus uh, an applause just for being there 
and being with him. And it's not surprising that Paul would pick this up. And many New Testament scholars, not the majority, but many say that Romans 15.7 is actually the key verse to understanding the entire New Testament. Welcome one another, therefore. And anytime says, Paul says, therefore, that's big. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. So even Paul had learned that for Jesus, radical welcome and uh, inclusion and applause for people was very significant. So I thought for this morning, I'd just list a few reasons why I think it may be that in God's economy, a welcome is so important or became so important. The first one is probably obvious to you, and that is God's people for most of the history of the Bible are not welcomed. They're not really welcomed as slaves in Egypt. They are seen as a threat. They aren't really welcomed when they are carted off into Babylon as slaves. When they're allowed to move back home, they aren't welcomed by the Romans, who instead uh, tax them and put a tremendous burden upon them. God's people all throughout the, the, uh, the scripture find that usually they are not welcomed. And so maybe that's part of the reason it becomes so important. Israel, as you may know, is more than 80% desert. So Jesus' own homeland requires radical hospitality. Uh, Years ago, I was on a trip to Israel, and our leader had taken probably 40 or 50 trips by then. We got dropped off in a bus in the desert, and we were on like a desert hike, and our leader got lost. His 50th trip in the desert, and he got lost because when you get in the desert of Israel, it just all looks alike. And so there are so many people in ancient days traveling through the desert who don't know where they are. They can't find food. They can't find water. And if someone does not take them in when they come across an encampment or a tent, they will literally die. Hospitality becomes the key virtue uh, to life and death in Israel. And so it becomes very important. Maybe it's important in God's economy simply because in the Bible we see people rewarded so often for hospitality. Think about these three instances. Uh, There are three angelic visitors, though they don't know they're angels at the time, who come to visit Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. And, And Abraham and Sarah do more than roll out the red carpet for them. They empty the storehouses for these visitors. And then they, at the end of the visit, the visitors tell them, next year at this time, you will have a child. And until then, they were childless. They were rewarded, in a sense, for their hospitality. If you fast forward to the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, he comes across a very poor woman who is about to fix her last meal and eat it and then probably die because she doesn't know where the rest of the food is going to come from. And Elijah shows up, and in hospitality, her last meal, she gives to Elijah. And if you know the story, what happens is as long as she keeps feeding Elijah, she never runs out of food. Her hospitality uh, continues to bless not only Elijah, but her household. And then Elijah's successor, the prophet Elisha, in 2 Kings, comes across not a poor couple, but a very wealthy couple, except they have no children. And, uh, and they offer him hospitality, a place to sleep and, and a place to rest, and they take care of him. And he finds out what they want more than anything else as a child. He not only uh, uh, intercedes for, to God for them to have a child, but when the child dies, they act, uh, Elisha, through the power of God, brings that child back to life. Amazing rewards in the scripture for hospitality and occasionally punishment. 
Uh, you've probably heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels went to check out how wicked it was. And then the men of the city uh, told Lot, bring those angels out here. We want to assault them. And so a lot of people believe the, quote, sin of Sodom, unquote, has to do with sexual misbehavior. That's only a part of the story. If you read Ezekiel and then rabbinic commentaries on Sodom, you find out that Sodom was just basically inhospitable to strangers. And that's the big thing God has against them, is you don't welcome, you don't applaud the people that come in your midst. You try to take advantage of them. And so maybe that's the reason why the Bible is so big on welcome. Or maybe it's just this. That the Bible knows that there's nothing quite so powerful in our life as to receive blessing and welcome from somebody else. Do you remember the elephant man? If you didn't read the book, perhaps you saw the movie about Joseph Casey Merrick. Born, of course, uh, with a disfiguring uh, condition. But when the elephant man talks about, in his short life, the turning point, he said it was this. Despite his grotesque appearance... He talks about the first time that a woman smiled at him and welcomed him. And he talked about how that changed his life. Welcome is so powerful. It's life-changing. Think about Timothy. Do you remember the story of Timothy? Timothy was an outsider even among his own people because he was half Jew and half not. And yet Paul welcomed him, circumcised him, made him a part of the family, and took him on his adventures with him. And last we hear of Timothy, he is leading the largest church in the world in Ephesus. There's a power to welcome. And maybe that's it. Or maybe just simply this. The Bible knows that perhaps the greatest measure of your faithfulness and my faithfulness to God is the willingness that we have to welcome and applaud other people in our midst. Um, One of the uh, interesting uh, quotes from the great reformer of the 19th century, Dorothy Day, who uh, Pope um, Francis lifted up while he was here in the States, is this. She said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love least in life. In other words, if you want to measure how loving you are, Take the person you love least, and that, she says, is how much you really love God. It becomes a measure of our faith. As Matt mentioned, Wednesday night, Tony Jones will be uh, lecturing, and he'll say some things that will interest you, some that will frustrate you, and some that will encourage you if he does what he normally does. But he'll be talking about the cross, and if you look at the cross, there is that vertical dimension, but it's incomplete without the horizontal If we welcome the presence of God, but don't welcome the presence of other people, have we really welcomed the presence of God? So let me say a couple things I think might be required uh, in welcoming. First of all, what would it mean to welcome others? I think to me the safest definition is to make a place for them in your life. Just to make spaces to welcome Uh, Just to allow another person to treat them well. So one of the differences is you don't treat them like a visitor, you treat them like a guest. But there's more to it than that. And then you allow them to even contribute to your life. You allow them to participate in your life. Welcoming is an active engagement. It's not just some sort of tolerance from a distance that says, I know you're different and I'll just leave you alone. It's an active engagement. Uh, So do you make a place for another person? And I think you only make a place for people if two things happen. The first one is this. You are willing to overlook differences initially. What happens is we often want to judge people by what we can figure out 
uh, most quickly. They're male or female. They look like me. They don't. They dress like me. They don't. They show up at the meetings I like or they don't. And we make some quick judgments. And so we tend to focus on what differentiates ourselves from other people rather than the first focus on what we have in common, which is we're all human beings loved by God. So um, one of the things I talked about last week, Miroslav Volf, a Yale theologian who spent a lot of time in his native Bosnia during terrible war and ethnic cleansing, he says this, we have, we have to reach out to people before we learn any truth or make any judgments about them. That welcoming is first about loving them and receiving them uh, as the same as us before we start focusing on the differences. And you can't welcome another if the first thing you note is the differences. The second thing is this. We quite simply have to get over our fear. It's our fear that keeps us from welcoming people who are different, it seems to me. Did you see American Experience on PBS this week? It was fascinating. It was about Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, his Halloween treat that he gave the nation. And, of course, it caused mass hysteria. Well, the problem was twofold. One is a lot of people were listening to another show on the radio and turned the channel to Orson Welles, so they missed the entire disclaimer. And so they, they thought the stuff was really happening and Martians had landed in New Jersey. But the second thing the show pointed out is this was an age in the late 30s of great anxiety. They had, we had just come out of this terrible depression. So many had lost their jobs. We had seen in recent years the Hindenburg go up in flames uh, over uh, a town. And then we had watched Hitler begin to annex territory. And the atmosphere was fear. And one of the people interviewed on the show said the War of the Worlds could not have caused mass hysteria if people had not lived in such fear. Fear makes us treat other people like Martians rather than earthlings. Human beings, fear drives it. So if we're going to welcome one another, we're going to have to overcome our fear. And we're going to have to overcome it with what the Bible says is the opposite of fear. And that is love. And so as we come to the table this morning and we celebrate communion, I would tell you that communion to me is the most visible sign of welcome. Jesus gives his life for us before we ever did anything for him. And he calls on us, as we are next to other people this rail, to love them whether we, ha- whether we agree with them in all things or we don't. The communion table, like the church itself, is for all people.